We are starting a brand new campaign that both uh, myself, Becky and Roy at the end of the month will be speaking in titled Truth Talk, Truth Talk. And as Becky and I were praying and thinking about the campaigns, we really wanted to start a uh, speaking truth. And that's reflective of all the songs that Liz and the team have just led us in, that we are speaking truth. In a world at the moment that is just so downtrodden, so hurting, so negative, there are a lot of lies happening in our world, in politics, in our country. We just want to declare truth over our lives and over our church. We thought it'd be a great way to start. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can either turn it on if you're uh, modern or if you're old school like me and you've got a proper Bible, go to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. And as you're turning there, let me just set up the scene for you here. If you've been in church for a while, you may be familiar with this story. But as I often say, as we approach accounts like this that we may be familiar with, let's look at it with fresh eyes. We say time and time and again, the word is active and it's living and it wants to speak to us. And this account here, we find a woman. She's actually called a sinful woman coming to the feet of Jesus. And as we read it, you could be mistaken in thinking that she's gate-crashing a party. There's a dinner party where Jesus is with a Pharisee called Simon. And suddenly she bursts in. But actually, this wasn't a private party. Contextually, at the time, these dinner parties were like going to the cinema. Where we find this dinner party we're going to read about, it would have been in a courtyard. And if you were courting or dating at the time, this would be a really hot date to take your date to the Pharisee's house to listen to the conversation. So let's pick up the story in verse 36. And if you haven't got your Bible, I do have the Sky Bible available, if that'll just come up. And we're going to start at 36. I'm not going to read the whole account. I'm going to pause at verse 40. And it says this, that one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house, that's Jesus, and reclined at the table. Back in the day, you didn't sit to eat, you lay to eat. I still do that today, it's biblical. <laughs> and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And so she bought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, this man, talking of Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say for you, say to you. And in true Netflix fashion, we're going to leave it on a cliffhanger right there. And just with that story in the back of your mind, obviously written in Holy Scripture, that I believe Jesus wants to talk to us about this morning, I want to bring us far more modern to a much less holy story. Now we talk about the seven wonders of the world, the pyramids and, and Giza, all these amazing things. There's actually seven wonders of Luton. It's all the things that we know about and this is one of them. It's Wigmore Asda. I say it's a seven wonder because no matter where you are in Luton, when you try and explain, particularly where I live, Nobody knows, but as soon as I say it's by Wigmore Asda, uh, okay, I know where you live, one of the seven ones of Luton. And it was just a few weeks ago, I was in Asda, my local shopping uh, shop, my local shopping shop, my local shopping mall, whatever we call it. And I was browsing the aisles, I was picking up dinner for my kids and for Becky, we were going to eat pasta and chicken. My children eat pasta with everything, because it's that stage where all they're eating is pasta. So I'm stocking up on pasta. 
And I'll go to the Tills, the self-checkout, because it's a lot easier. And uh, you may not know about me, I'm not actually an extrovert, I'm an introvert, and I just go red if someone talks to me who I don't know. So I go to the self-checkout, I scan my items, and I begin to walk out, nonchalantly daydreaming like I usually do in a world of my own. But then something happened that scarred me still weeks later, where when I get to Asda, my heart starts to beat a little bit faster. And I went into Asda just a few days ago to get this picture. You see, as I was walking out, I was greeted by the shop alarms. (laughs) And as I was walking out, the shop alarms went off. Now, this doesn't always happen to me, but it seems to happen to me more than the average person. And I don't know about you, when this happens to you, If you're probably quite a confident person, this doesn't bother you, you just carry on walking, but I froze. I froze, the the, the alarms were beeping and I could see the store assistants who were standing where these guys are standing right here. They just look at me. I'm just walking through this door right here and I I freeze. And these people are just a couple of seconds away from me and I see them walking over and everybody's looking at me, absolutely awful. The alarms are going off and you do that thing, you just want to check it's you, so you put your bag through again and it went off again. I think, oh my goodness me. But it's absolutely crazy what happened in just a few seconds that the shop assistants walked over to me. You see, in those few seconds, a voice started to wind up in my mind. And it said this, you've been caught. You've been caught. You've had a good run, but you've been caught. And it was absolutely ridiculous because I began to convince myself in seconds that I was a career criminal. And after this amazing run of getting away with so much stuff, I'd finally been caught. And I could see the looting headlines. Pasta, pinches, pasta. (laughs) And then the thought occurs to me, I often see people from church in Wigmore Asda. What if someone from church is around as I'm being accosted by these two shop assistants? You are a career criminal, Mike, and your run has come to an end. And of course, the shop assistants come over, they check my receipt and they said, look, don't worry about it. It happens sometimes. But literally for the next 10 minutes, I was shaking. My heart was pumping and and these voices were going on in my mind. And I want to take a few minutes before we revisit the woman at Simon the Pharisee's house and talk to you about something called self-talk. Self-talk. You see, when we talk and we think about voices in our head, we usually only associate them to clinically mental patients. When we hear about voice in our head, if someone talks about that, we think you need to go to the doctors and be put away for some serious treatment. But actually, scientists tell us that all of us have that voice in our head. And it's called self-talk. Whether it sounds like you, or maybe it sounds like your parents, or maybe if you're really cool, it sounds like Morgan Freeman. But all of us have this voice in our head. And when we talk normally conversationally, we speak at roughly 145 to 160 words per minute. Now, when I'm preaching and public speaking, public speakers speak at about 300 words per minute. That's double that. We do this to try and keep you interested and keep your attention. But self-talk speaks four times faster than that at 1,200 approximately words per minute. Now, what's fascinating about our self-talk is even though it's speaking really fast and you can barely understand what you're saying if we do it audibly, we hear and we understand all of that. Isn't that amazing? Some people say, I speak too fast, but their self-talk is going 1,200 words per minute. 
It's scary. Even as you're sitting listening to me now, your self-talk subconsciously and maybe even consciously is assessing your surroundings. It's listening to me and it's not just evaluating and processing what I'm saying. You're asking yourself, do you agree with this or disagree with this? You're asking yourself if my shirt fits me or it doesn't fit me. You're asking yourself if you love my Birmingham accent or you despise it. It's all happening, almost like a football commentary. You're assessing everything. Aren't our minds absolutely amazing? And scientists, as I said, have done a lot of study around this and it's been proven that positive self-talk is really good for us. It can increase your lifespan. It lower rates of depression. It gives greater resistance to the common cold. Isn't that amazing? Stuff paracetamol, just speak better to yourself. It reduces the risk of death from heart disease and it gives us better coping skills during hardships and times of stress. Now, this is absolutely phenomenal. But the scary thing is the opposite is also true. When we speak to ourselves negatively, it decreases our life. It gives us greater uh, propensity to getting heart disease and the common cold. It makes us depressed. It gives us bad coping skills. And this is just what happens physically. What happens subconsciously and consciously as well is our self-talk can make us believe things that aren't true. I say it like this. Our self-talk in our subconscious mind, listens and accepts what we say to ourselves as the truth. Here's the scary thing, even if it is not. And then it goes about making the circumstances to prove that. So for an example, if you've been in a conversation with someone before or an instance and something has happened and you've gone away and you've spoken about it to other people there, sometimes your accounts can be completely different. Why? Because self-talk has told you how to view it. This being said, our self-talk can be our greatest friend or our deadliest foe. It can set us up for some of the best times in our life, but it also can make some of the worst times in our life as well. So why on earth are we giving this science lesson in the middle of church on a Sunday morning? And what on earth does this have to do with a dinner party that happened 2,000 plus years ago? Well, it was as I was sitting in this story of the sinful woman and, you know, there's weird stuff in the Bible. All through the Bible, there's weird stuff that we maybe stop and think, well, that's a bit odd. But this, for me, is just really weird. Someone crying on someone's feet and then drying it with their hair. It's just art. And as I was sitting in my devotional time recently reading this, God began to really speak to me about the circumstances around this story. Much more about what isn't written rather than what is. And as I said, if we're familiar with the Bible, we can approach it and we know it and we think we've got it down to a T. But it's often really, really important to remember that the people and the places and the times we read about aren't myths. They're not fairy tale. These are real people in real places at real times. And although some of them did absolutely extraordinary things, actually, they're just like me and you. The same problems, the same issues, same depression, same joys. They were just human. And as I was reading this account, I got stuck between two verses, verses 37 and verse 38. And I really felt God speak to me between that. So this is what verse 37 says. And a woman who was in the town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclined at the table in the Pharisee's house and she bought an alabaster jar of perfume. And in the Bible, it carries straight on. And then she stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. But as I was reading this, I thought how much could have happened between that little gap of verse 37 and verse 38. 
And if you'd allow me a little bit of preacher's liberty this morning, I want to speak to you about what I felt God speak to me in this little gap here. You see, reading the story is very obvious that this isn't the first time this woman has encountered Jesus. This is the sequel. Obviously, somewhere before that we don't know about and isn't written, she has encountered Jesus. There was something that happened that stirred her heart to do this amazing, audacious, slightly strange act, coming to the feet of Jesus and anointed his feet with oil. And I wonder when she heard about Jesus coming to town, finally he was near. Maybe she'd only ever seen him at the edge of a crowd of thousands. Maybe she'd just got a glimpse of him, but something had tugged her heart and a call of obedience to go to him was birthed in her life. And I imagine she asked around and she found the address and she scurries to this address and she breaks in. And as I imagine it, she's late and there's a crowd there already and she uses her shoulders and her elbows to get to the front. And just like me, as those alarms began to go off in Asda, I imagine her heart is beating. She's nervous. I imagine a cold sweat on her palms as she pushes to the front and she sees the back of Jesus. And she steps out from the crowd and people behind her begin to whisper. And then as she goes to speak to Jesus, I imagine she catches the eyes of the Pharisees around and her words falter on her lips. Because it's evident from the text, this woman was known as a sinful woman. She wasn't an obscure person. She was known for her sin. I imagine her catching the eyes of Simon who would have been sat in front of Jesus if she's behind him. And in that instant, the heart continues to race and a voice starts to ramp up, making the the most out of those 1,200 words a minute, saying things like, who on earth do you think you are? Who do you think you are to come to this place? You don't belong here. You're a dirty sinner. Why do you think that Jesus would want you? This is a terrible idea. These people are better than you. You will look ridiculous. You should have stayed at home and nothing will change. Now, as I imagine this, I imagine this running through her mind at top rate speed, but I don't imagine it to be in a woman's voice. You see, as she sees Simon and with horror and dread realise that this is his house, I imagine she hears it in Simon's voice. Often when the negative things start to happen in our mind, it's associated with a voice that has told us no before or has given negative words over our life before. And we already know what Simon thinks from verse 40. He didn't say audibly, but he said, who does Jesus think he is letting this sinner touch him? And she hears it in Simon's voice. And almost comically, I began to give a face to Simon. And I call this voice self-talk Simon in the lady's head. You see, the Simon I see in my mind is this one. Simon Cowell, love him or loathe him, he's one of the most famous people in the world. And if you don't know who he is, he is basically a talent judge who really is successful on the back of being really brutally honest and sometimes just brutal. Really, really sharp with his tongue, which is comical for us watching, but is destroying for the people who are on the end of it. Let's look at some of his phrases. In every single way, that was just everything that I hated. Vanessa, if anyone ever asked me what my nightmares look and sound like, I'm going to refer to you. It was a bit like ordering a hamburger and only getting the bun. I'm going to use that somewhere. I like that one. It says here you're a wedding singer. How many ended in divorce? (laughs) That was exactly identical to a nightmare I had last week. You couldn't win this competition if you were the only one left in it in a million years. You will never, ever, ever be a singer. 
There was absolutely nothing redeeming in that other than the fact that we stopped it early. Just get out, just leave. And as you're reading that, you probably hear it in his voice. You know his voice, you know what it sounds like. And, and this is what the woman would have been experienced, I imagine, in that gap between verses 37 and verse 38. And we don't know how long it was. It could have been two seconds, three seconds. It could have been an hour and a half as she stood on the periphery of the crowd, working up the courage to approach Jesus. But what I can tell you, I would bet my life on, is that some sort of semblance of negative self-talk would have attacked her as she came to do what she felt called to do. And as I said, self-talk happens to all of us. What you may not realise is that it has what scientists call a negative bias. What that means is simply most of our self-talk is negative as opposed to positive. And in one study, it found that the negative bias is 14 to 1. That means for every one good thing you tell yourself, you tell yourself 14 negative things. You wonder why some of you find it hard to get up in the morning. Why some of us struggle to get out of the bed. Some of us are defeated before we even open our eyes because self-talk Simon runs rampant. In the beginning of a brand new year, when we are naturally more reflective and we're looking back at what was and we're looking forward to what is, I would ask us to be very careful playing the game, Simon says, in our lives. It can be very, very dangerous. So what on earth does this woman have to do with us in 2023 now in Luton? This dinner party 2,000 years ago, that was just slightly strange. Well, as we read that story, I think all of us, in some way, maybe not as dramatic, can relate to what this woman was going through. You see, we have all had those moments of the in-between, where there's an opportunity, particularly in our Christian life, to go forward into something new or to retreat back into the same old, same old of what was. And actually, in that small space, which I think is small and can make you feel captive, this is where self-talk runs wild. You see, many of us live in this small space, captive to self-talk. And maybe like this woman, it was a few seconds or minutes or maybe even an hour. But actually, I think some of us get trapped in this space of in-between for months and even years. Where Jesus has put something in our heart, a compulsion, We've had an encounter that calls us to do something and we just freeze up because self-talk Simon begins to have his way in our minds. And instead of silencing Simon, we begin to play Simon Says. As we said, there's a propensity scientifically that we believe everything it says. And when we start to believe it, we start to feel it. And when we start to feel it, we start to live it. And when we start to live it, that's who we become. One thing I've found living the Jesus way, which I've been doing since my late teens now when I had a real encounter with Jesus, is whenever you endeavour to live the Jesus way, self-talk Simon is never far away. So much so because of our own belief in what Jesus wants to do with us. You see, when we look around and we hear these amazing testimonies of, of big mafia bosses who have found Jesus and murderers and big drug cartels having this encounter, we have no problem with Jesus using them. But when we look at our own, sometimes quite mediocre life, we think, well, Jesus wouldn't want us. And when we look at our own thought life and some of the things we've done and said maybe in the past that nobody else knows about but Jesus, we think, well, Jesus wouldn't want us. And we have it in Scripture, Romans 5.8, even while we were still sinners, Paul tells us, Jesus came and died for us and sacrificed himself for us. 
God loves all of us and wants to use all of us. But when we look at our own life, we elevate Simon over what the Bible says. We elevate Simon over what Jesus says in our lives. You see, when we endeavour to live this Jesus way, self-talk Simon will never, ever be far away. We are our own worst critics. And we get stuck, as I said, in this gap, this gap between what was and our past and what is and what Jesus calls us to. And we need to learn the best way we can to listen only to what Jesus said. And we hear many messages and we read many books about the Christian life and it being the best life ever and, and everything's okay. And, and you know, once we meet Jesus, everything will go away. But actually, much of that is completely contrary to Scripture. Jesus said, expect trouble. You'll be persecuted. Your, your brothers will turn on you. Your family will turn on you. Living the Christian way isn't always easy. And we see mass persecution across the world. Some of the people in this church have come from countries where it is illegal to be Christians. And sometimes we think we have it hard here. We have it so easy here, where we have liberation to worship as we want. And actually, the type of persecution that many of us face isn't physical, it isn't violence, it isn't from outside, it's from our own head. We lie to ourselves, we trap ourselves, and we get stuck in this prison called self-talk. And of course, we're spiritual beings, we're Christians, we believe in the power of the spiritual. And we mustn't forget that we have an enemy. And we don't talk about it often, but it's good to remind ourselves every now and again, there is an enemy out to get us and self-talk is obviously and the best playground he can have in our lives. He can't listen to our thoughts, but he can whisper in our ear. The Bible says that the devil, he, he portrays himself as an angel of light. Maybe he can portray himself with your voice or your parents' voice or Morgan Freeman's voice. Bible tells us in Peter 5, 8, 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you, when we think of this, I love this imagery of a lion. A lion stalks and it's sneaky. It doesn't come bounding in like a Labrador. It, it takes its time, it's slow and then suddenly bam. And we see this right from Genesis, right in the beginning, Genesis 3, Satan whispering in the ear of Eve. Is that what he really said? Are you sure he meant that? Could you be mistaken? And when God puts things in our lives and our hearts and gives us vision to chase and promises to hold, he whispers in our ear as well. And what I'm not saying is everything's spiritual. We're just not that important sometimes. A lot of the time we tie ourselves up in knots. We do have an enemy, yes, and self-talk is probably the best way he will utilise his forces by whispering in our ear. But more often than not, it's our own self-talk, our own self-belief, our own knowledge of our inner life and our thought life and what we do that ties us up in knots. When we think about self-talk and we know about self-talk and we know it's always going to happen, we have a choice to make. You see, we cannot and will not be able to stop hearing self-talk. Actually, if you don't have self-talk, then maybe you have the medical condition we talked about earlier. All of us do it. It's natural. We will always hear it. The choice before us is whether we listen to it. You see, hearing and listening are very, very different. Becky reminds me often, I hear a lot and listen very little. And I'm seeing that reflected now in my own children. They hear a lot. I can see they're hearing the noise, but they're not listening and understanding. And yes, it, it, it can sound very 
material, but actually God who created our brain, our bodies, is in that, is in the material. We can take steps to fill our mind with truth, to get into the Bible, to seek after Jesus, to improve our prayer life, to counteract this self-talk Simon with doses of truth from Jesus. And there's a lot of things that happen in this account culturally. There's all sorts of things attached to this woman loosening her hair and the alabaster jar that she carried. There's all sorts of things about the Pharisees that were there that we could go into historically. But as I was sat thinking about this and ruminating on this and going over this in my mind, there's two things that stood out to me. As the woman pushed past the self-talk, she pushed past this voice that tried to push her down, whether her own or in the voice of Simon. She pushed past all the things that would hold her back from the things she had been called to do. We see that she sheds something, her tears, and she breaks something, the alabaster jar. She sheds her tears, which are representative for me of her past, her brokenness, the redemption she's now finding at Jesus. And she breaks this alabaster jar, which would have given this amazing aroma in the house of beauty and fragrance. And I wonder right at the start of a brand new year, what is Jesus asking us to shed and what is he calling us to break? What is he calling us to shed, to stop, to lay down? And yes, of course, this could be self-taught, but it could be negativity, it could be toxicity, it could be unforgiveness, it could be bitterness, it could be strife. And what is he calling you to break, to release what's next for you? To move in from verse 37 to verse 38, to push past that place where some of us may have been stuck, as I said, for weeks or months or even years. So a quote I shared a few months back in a sermon. I, I can't remember who it was attributed to, but he was talking about living the Christian life in the West. And he said, when we evaluate church attendances, we see people come to Jesus and the first year they're on fire and the second year they're on fire. But oftentimes when they get to the third year, they just go back and live the first year and second year again. You see, the Christian life is a life of growth and we've made it one of reincarnation. We get to a certain point and we halt and we stop. Jesus wants more for us. And I'm not talking about the Porsche and the the Lamborghini and things like that. I'm talking about our spiritual life. He wants more for us. He wants us living in the fullness of his mercy and his grace and his love. Not being held back or broken by the lies of the enemy or the lies of ourself. Our life, James tells us in James 4.14, is just a breath, it's a vapour. Let me read that scripture to you. Just quit our minds. James 4.14 says this. Yet you do, know not, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you're like a vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We spend so much time getting caught up in this captivity of self-talk where actually next week or next month, next year, in 10 years, it's just not important. We stress about things and it fills our life. We get anxious about things and it wrecks our week. And we hold on to these things, this 14 to 1 bias and we ruminate. And the truth that actually is the lie starts to go deeper and deeper into our mind and robs us of what Jesus wants us to bring. What are we called to shed this year? And what are we called to break? What are we called to lay down and what are we called to release? 
How are we going to break away from the crowd if we're listening to the lies of what we tell ourselves, what others say, what the enemy says, when Jesus is saying, just lay it down at my feet. Come to me, all you who are weary, he says, and I will give you rest. He wants you to walk in the promises he has for you. So this year, as we go into 2023, let's stop playing, Simon says, and start practising silencing Simon. It's only then we'll get into this this mode of being able to live in the truth, of listening to what Jesus wants to say to us. And I wonder if just for a minute we can close our eyes. And if you're like me, and maybe this this passage as I was sat in it began to talk to me and, and you started to navigate through your own life and your own mind and seeing where you had this self-talk Simon piping up and robbing you of things. It's often not in the moment that we can identify him, but in hindsight, we all have those moments where we, we have our heart beating, moving into what is next and whole, and then looking behind us. And we all know the feeling of the crushing disappointment of retracting and retreating. And we know the joys of moving forward in something like that. And I wonder if there's a self-taught problem in your life or Maybe not a problem. Maybe you just are navigating something at the moment where you just feel downtrodden and beaten up. I wonder if you would just stand with me as a sign, just like this woman where she shed something and she broke something, she moved away from the crowd. And there may be no one, that's fine. But if this self-talk has been an issue for you or is being an issue for you, I wonder if you would just stand. Just like this woman, it was a little step out from the crowd to the feet of Jesus. Maybe just two or three, half a metre. We don't know. But just doing something physical like that, just standing, this outward appearance of, this outward action, this appearance of something happening inside, I believe it gives us the confidence to be able to move on to what Jesus is saying. Lord, I pray for every person, represent every man and woman in this place who, He's just standing up who was maybe listening to a Simon, a self-talk Simon in their own minds, in their own lives, Lord. I just pray right now that your truth, your encounter would squash that, Lord. I, I pray right now that you would speak words of truth into our lives, words of redemption. We know this woman began to follow you at this moment. And Lord, we pray right now that a fresh encounter is on our lives. As I said at the beginning of a new year, we are naturally reflective. We're naturally looking forwards. Lord, use this little indication in our lives as we stand as permission to speak truth into our life. Silence our own thoughts. Silence the thoughts of the enemy, Lord, and begin to speak in us now.